Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. And I need to mention it. I think he's still in here uh, some, somewhere. Um, it's always fun to see uh, a, a new ordained minister uh, going through the motions and learning how to do preaching and the Lord's table. And this was Lee Hutchings' first baptism this morning. So he pulled it off, didn't spill anything, everything went well. And uh, Lee, if you're in here, uh, thank you. What a blessing. What a blessing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus. Thank you for showing mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending your Son and the Holy Spirit who is here right now. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is working right now in our hearts and minds. And I pray specifically, Lord, I pray that as we read this passage, this wonderful passage of Scripture, and as we walk through it, the Holy Spirit would walk through it with us. I pray that we would love the Word of God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring this passage, this text, alive, and we would behold beautiful, wonderful, life-changing things in your Word. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 138, a psalm of David. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. For your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. What is thanksgiving? For me, this time of year brings up a lot. One of the first things that, that 
that comes up for me in my head and in my heart is my parents. I lost my dad a couple of years ago. I miss him at Thanksgiving. My mom and my sister still live in the the Dallas area and I uh, interact with them. But in addition to just thinking about my parents, I think about a couple of things in, in, in particular that my parents taught me through the years. And it always comes up, it always bubbles up uh, at this time of year. It was very important in my family that, that everybody had a sense of family, of where we were from, you know that, and that everybody had a sense of history. In my particular family, history was important. What happened in the past, I guess that's one of the reasons why I ended up being a, a major in history. I love history. And I've met many of you, I can see you right now, that, that, that love history. Well, one specific example. My mother named me after William Bradford. My name is Bradford Mercer. Anybody know who William Bradford was? Uh, William Bradford was the governor of the Plymouth Colony. His name is associated with the first Thanksgiving. Um, Some of you may have heard of William Carey, who was a, a missionary. My middle name is Carey. So my mom used to always say, hey, no pressure, Brad. That means a lot to me that my mother thought through those names that she gave me. And it always comes up this time of year, William Bradford. Um, uh, The first trip I can remember going on with my parents was a history trip. I remember they took me, and I was very small, and I can barely remember it, but some of you have been there. I go now almost every year to Boston. And I remember seeing Paul Revere's house and the old North Church where the lanterns were hung. And Boston Common and all these famous cemeteries. And Lexington and Concord and Walden Pond. And on and on. But the highlight for me as a kid was the Plymouth Colony. If you've ever been there, they've rebuilt it. It's there. You walk through the Welcome Center, it's, it's in the Plymouth Colony, by the way, is in Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts, and you go through the, this fancy new Welcome Center and you walk through and you pay your ticket and you turn the corner and you're in the 17th century. You see this rebuilt Plymouth Colony and behind it, if there's not a big ship going by, it looks authentic. But the highlight the real highlight for me in visiting this old, rebuilt, living Plymouth colony, the site of the first Thanksgiving, was meeting William Bradford. And we walked in his house, and there he was. And I was a kid. I'm named after you. And his wife was, by the, obviously, this is an actor. If you have, He died a long time ago. Some of you are looking perplexed. Of course, I'm used to people looking at me like that. I got to meet William Bradford and his wife, and she was there by the fire and and cooking. 
And I remember learning at that time, I don't think it was William Bradford that told me, but somebody else said, you know what, for us, that wasn't the first Thanksgiving. For the pilgrim, you know, we always think, you know, look, right here we have the cornucopia and the pumpkins and all these images that come up around Thanksgiving. For them, it wasn't the first Thanksgiving. The harvest of 1621 was not the first Thanksgiving. They had no idea that they were going to someday uh, establish a national holiday. Everywhere they had been, England, Holland, and now America, they set aside days, special days of Thanksgiving. Days to thank the Lord for some specific thing. You know, we need to set a day of Thanksgiving, they would say. And on this day, on this day, we're going to gather and we're going to sing praise. We're going to worship and we're just going to spend the whole day thanking God. There was nothing new about that for them once they came to America. They were just doing what they'd always done. How did they come to this commitment? Why did they do this? Obviously, they were steeped in the Bible, but, but, but they were particularly steeped. And this is one of the joys of my heart. I, I just, I, I'll say it. I love the Bible. I love the Psalms. They were steeped in the Psalms. They read them. They memorized them. They heard them preached, and they would sing them in their worship services. They were steeped in the Psalms. When you think about Thanksgiving, think about the Psalms and so many Psalms that there are of Thanksgiving. And this is one of them. This is one of the Thanksgiving Psalms that was very important to them, that they would memorize and sing and hear taught. What we have here is a picture of living Thanksgiving. What we have here is a picture of Thanksgiving in action. I had a little fun last week in the staff meeting. I, I threw out, what, what do you guys, what is Thanksgiving? And we had all kinds of answers and a great discussion about the meaning of Thanksgiving. I know of no better passage of Scripture that helps us get right to the heart of Thanksgiving, shows us Thanksgiving in action. Notice here that Thanksgiving is an action. It's something that we do. Thanksgiving is something that we do. But, but don't stop there. Secondly, Thanksgiving is something that we feel, something that we're passionate about, something that we experience. And then finally, and most importantly, most importantly, Thanksgiving is a gift. There is no true Thanksgiving without grace. There's no true thanksgiving without grace. First, it's an action. It's something that we do. Look at the passage. I give you thanks, O Lord. I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple. I give thanks to your name. He's speaking thanks. He's singing thanks. He's thanking God with his body. He's bowing down. Obviously, the picture is worship. But he's following through. It's an action. It's something that he is 
doing. You know, in a very real sense, thanksgiving is a discipline. It's something that we do whether we feel like doing it or not. I give you thanks. I sing your praise. I bow down. I came across a book not long ago by a man named Dennis Prager and the title of the book, I was struck by the title, Happiness is a Serious Problem. I don't even think, I don't, I don't know that he's even a believer. I think he kind of leans that way. But listen to what he says. There's a secret to happiness. It's gratitude. All happy people are grateful. And ungrateful people cannot be happy. We tend to think that it is being unhappy that leads people to complain. I think it is truer to say that it is complaining that leads people to becoming unhappy. You get that? Um, We tend to think, you think about this a long time, we tend to think that it is being unhappy that leads people to complain. But it is truer to say that it is complaining that leads people to to becoming unhappy. There's a lot of practical wisdom there. David writes in Psalm 92, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Try it. Your heart will change. Your perspective will change. The rhythms of your talk, your thoughts, will change if you'll commit to Thanksgiving as a discipline, something that you do. He talks about building habits of thankfulness, declaring our humility and our dependence leads to to contentment. It leads to contentment. God doesn't need our thanks and gratitude. We need to give it, though. God's completely perfect and fine without it. We're not. And when we give it, it leads to contentment, he's saying. I think he's right. Secondly, it's something that we feel. We don't want to stop with the discipline. We want to feel it. And he does. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing, I called. My strength of soul, you increased. He's all in. In Hebrew, heart means everything that makes me, me at the deepest, most sensitive level. Everything that makes me, me at the deepest, most sensitive level. I give thanks from there to you. I'm all in. With everything I've got, I'm giving you thanks. There's passion. And notice how he starts out by saying, I, I, me, my, and then he moves to kings of the earth. Before the gods. And by the way, this can be interpreted a number of ways, but essentially what he's saying, before all powers and all authorities, publicly. Yes, privately, one-on-one, but publicly, in a group. 
and I'm all in. Look, when you love something and delight in it, isn't it hard when you can't share it with somebody? You you round the corner and there's a thunderstorm and it's just astounding and you're all by yourself and there's nobody to share it with. You come across a book or a movie, a piece of art, music, visual arts, a painting, and you see it and man wouldn't so-and-so love this. Cindy and I got away for a week recently. She spent a whole week with me and she still likes me. And Cindy's my wife, by the way. And we got, got away and, and in the morning, one morning, I decided I was going to get up and I was determined to see, get up early and see the sunset. She was determined not to get up early and see the sunset. And I got up early, I mean the sunrise, sorry, got, get up early and see the sunrise. You see what I mean? I'm just, and she spent a whole week with me. Get up early. See, we, got, we saw great sunsets too, but I'm not going to inflict that upon you. We, I got up and saw the sun coming up and it was reflecting across the water. It was just astounding. But that's not where... It, it stopped. The sun was coming up. The, the, it was reflecting on the water and then right across the beams that were reflecting on the water, dolphins... And they started circling and playing and jumping. And, and I, I'm getting Cindy up. I don't care. Cindy, you've got to get up. You've got to see this. My grandson, who's very verbal, uh, Ethan. You know, when he comes running in the room and says, Papa, you've got to see this. I go and see it. That's what's happening here. Yes, it's a discipline, but we're so into it. We're so passionate about it. It's so wonderful. You've got to see this. You've got to know this. We've got to thank Him as a group. I have to have other people join me. It's so wonderful. That's what he's saying here. Um, In in C.S. Lewis's little book, Reflection on the Psalms, he's got a little, I commend this little chapter in there called A Word About Praising. One of the best things I've ever seen on gratitude and praise. Go read it. It's only about five or six pages. He asks a question, I wonder why, you know, in people, when people come along and demand that you show them gratitude and thanks and praise, we don't admire people like that. But with God, he said, that's one of the things that kept me from Christianity. But then once I realized, the more I delighted in and longed for and praised God, the more content I became. And he said this little phrase, he says, praise is inner health made audible. We could say thanksgiving is inner health made audible. It comes out. It bubbles up. We can't hold back what is man's chief end 
in our catechism, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. He wants us and He shows us that it's a discipline. It's something that we do, but it's also something that we feel with our whole heart, from the bottom of our hearts. But then finally, we, if we stop with it's something that we do and feel, we could end up with what I almost titled this sermon, The Pharisee's Thanksgiving. You remember the story of the Pharisee? He goes to public worship in front of the temple with many other people. He stands off by himself and praises and thanks God. He gives God thanksgiving, does he not? God, I thank you that I'm not like him. That I am not like her. God, I thank you that because of what I do, I'm righteous. He stands up in public and aims his prayer at other people. In the context of worship, he's looking at other people and he's praising God that he's not like them and that he is righteous based upon what he performs, what he does, what he accomplishes right there in public. And don't stop there. One of the things that, that we sometimes miss, this is at the temple. What happens at the temple? What's going on at the temple? Sacrifices. All day long, sacrifices. It's, it's like a butcher shop. And in the air is the smell. Get this scene. We have a man who's engaged in thanksgiving. That he's not like other people and that he's righteous. And in the air is the smell of blood and death and sacrifice. He misses it completely. You remember what the tax collector says, who's there, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But there's the Pharisee. He's he's right. (laughs) And he's righteous. He doesn't understand grace, and he has not experienced grace. Some of you know of a, of a southern writer named Flannery O'Connor. Um, Flannery O'Connor was from the Deep South. She was from Georgia. And she wrote a lot of... She wrote novels and short stories. And um, she, she wrote a story, and it, it, it struck me as I think it will strike you, uh, the story of, 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 of a very a proper southern family. Um, in particular, a southern lady named Ruby Turpin. And Ruby Turpin, in this short story called The Revelation, suddenly finds herself, like we all do, in a doctor's office. There's only one doctor's office in town, and there she is. And she walks into the doctor's office, and she does what I'm ashamed to say that I've done. She starts sizing everybody up. You know, that kid over there and that those people over there and they're a little different and why are they here and I wish they'd whatever. Here she is in the, uh, the doctor's office and she prays this prayer in the doctor's office. 
If it's one thing I am, it's grateful. When I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, I feel like shouting, thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. I could have been different. Thank you, Jesus. And if you know anything about the story, there's a young girl there. And she's sitting in the, the doctor's office and she looks at her face and she can tell what's going on. And she has a book in her hand and she hauls back. And by the way, her na- it's a wonderful little story. Her name is Mary Grace. She hauls back and throws this book right at Ruby Turpin and hits her right between the eyes. And the title of the book is Human Development. From Mary Grace at a Pharisee. And it troubles her deeply. Lord, why did that happen to me? And God gives her a vision the next couple of days and she sees all these people going to heaven. And you know who's first. And you know who's last. Those people are first. She's last. And understand grace. Thanksgiving is a gift. Um, one commentator puts it this way nothing has a more sensible influence in stimulating us to thanksgiving than his free mercy. And in communicating to us his free mercy, he opens our mouth to sing his praise. Once we understand, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We're about to sing that next few weeks. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. I bring nothing to the cross in my hands but my sin. And he comes with his his love. His steadfast love reaches down and changes my heart, my life supernaturally. And I place my faith in him. And I thank him for his protection and deliverance. But notice, we have to notice this before we finish. That this Thanksgiving takes place in hard times. You know, there's some of you for whom this time of year, Thanksgiving... Christmas, New Year's is hard. You're missing somebody. It's hard when you get to, it's hard, let's just say it. Hey, it's hard sometimes getting together with family. Bunch of sinners all there, except for you. It's hard. He recognizes this. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Steadfast love is one word in Hebrew. It's hesed. It's God's eternal covenant love. It's the love that motivates him to reach down and grab us out of the pit. 
through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And it's all grace. Steadfast love. Steadfast love. You know, we have a, um, another holiday right around the corner that Christians don't often think of, but it's on our calendars often. And we hear about it. Maybe we might see something about it on, on television. It's Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? You know what Hanukkah is? Um, what Hanukkah means? Hanukkah mean, the word Hanukkah means dedication. The celebration, the festival is all about dedication, um, rededication. It's, it's the celebration of the story, basically, of, of a battle that takes place. It's not in the Bible, but it's between the two Testaments. It's a battle of a, of, 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 that, in which they remember and celebrate, celebrate a, a small ragtag group uh, of Jews who defeat a large Greek army and they come back into Jerusalem and they rededicate the temple. They rededicate their, their lives and they rededicate uh, the temple. And every year for the next few weeks, I think it's December 8th through 16th, every year all over the world, Jews come and as they celebrate the, dedicate, the rededication of the temple that had been taken over, but now they're rededicating it, they read Psalms of Thanksgiving. All over the world, they'll read Psalm 92 and Psalm 30 and Psalm 138, thanking the Lord as they've come and rededicated the temple. In Psalm 138, verse 2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. But we would be remiss if if we didn't say and, and be reminded that every psalm points to Jesus, ultimately to Jesus as our hope in In Hebrews chapter 9, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing our eternal redemption. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Thanksgiving is a discipline. It's something that we do. It's something that we do with feeling and passion from the depths of our hearts. But we need grace. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus. The supernatural grace that changes our hearts. When Jesus appeared as high priest, he came, he went into the holy place and by means of his own blood reconciled us to the Father. What more do we have to to be thankful for? We have many things, but Thanksgiving ultimately is to and about and directed toward Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you We praise you. We are overwhelmed by what you have done 
for us. The, the one person who ever came to earth who was perfect. Perfectly obedient. And your father crushed you. Turned his back on you. All for us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people of great gratitude and of great praise and of great thanksgiving. It is so often so easy to fall into complaining and discouragement. Lord, by the power of your Spirit and the gift of grace, help us to be a thankful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Until the daybreak and the shadows flee away, be thankful.